Welcome to the High on Life podcast, where it's all about empowering you with the medicine and the mindset to healthfully lose weight and thrive beyond the scale. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha High. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss and beyond. Remember that while I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. So be sure to seek medical support from a qualified health professional. Welcome back to the podcast. I am going to talk about Manjaro today. Now, before I get into it, I thought I would reintroduce myself because I suspect that there are going to be some people who find this podcast as a result of searching for Manjaro information. And so you may not know who I am. So my name is Dr. Sasha High. I am an internal medicine and obesity medicine physician based in Ontario, Canada. And I run two programs. I run a coaching program called Best Weight that teaches women how to overcome emotional eating and overeating behaviors so they can achieve achieve their healthiest lifestyle. And I run the High Metabolic Clinic, which is a telemedicine program available to patients across Ontario. And um, I've been practicing obesity medicine since 2012, so I've been in this space for a very long time. I'm one of the leading Canadian physicians in obesity medicine. I do a lot of medical education for other healthcare providers interested in weight management across Canada and internationally, and um, teach them how to provide evidence-based and compassionate care. And I believe I'm also the only Canadian physician podcaster on obesity medicine, which is kind of fun. And I do a lot of health education through my social channels at Sasha High MD on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. All right. So let's talk about Manjaro. Uh, Manjaro is a new metabolic treatment that has just arrived on the Canadian market. And um, as of the time of this recording, it's been here for about three and a half weeks so far. Its name is actually terzepatide. So Manjaro is the trade name and it has arrived in pharmacies, although we're hearing of some shortages already, which is unfortunate. But this medication was first approved by Health Canada in November of 2022 for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. But there have been global shortages of this medication, along with some of the other GLP-1 medications like semaglutide. And that means we have been waiting for over a year for this medication to arrive. So what's the big deal? You're going to hear about that today. Okay, so terzepatide is what's called a GIP, GLP-1 dual agonist. And some of you may be familiar with GLP-1 medications. Others are like, what are you even talking about? So GIP is a hormone and GLP-1 is another hormone. And both of these hormones exist in our bodies already and have a lot of beneficial effects in terms of blood sugar lowering and appetite suppression. They're very important hormones after we eat a meal. And so they're beneficial because they act on the pancreas to help produce insulin, secrete insulin, so that blood sugars will come down and be used appropriately after a meal. And that's why this medication, terzepatide, works in the treatment of type 2 diabetes. But it can also be used off-label for the treatment of obesity and has been studied in obesity without type 2 diabetes. It's very effective, as I said, for blood sugar control, and helping people with type 2 diabetes and obesity lose weight at the same time. So to give you an idea of like the efficacy, the extent of how effective this medication is, um, across the clinical trial program, so all medications that get released to 
be used in humans, need to go through very rigorous testing, and we call those clinical trials. And the whole program consists of not just one like study, but multiple studies in different phases. Um, some studies looking at heart outcomes, some studies looking at comparing it to other medications. So the whole program is called the SURPASS program. And the average blood sugar lowering, which is measured by A1C for people with type 2 diabetes was 2.1 to 2.6%. Now, if these numbers don't mean anything to you, I will just let you know that no other approved diabetes medication on the market has ever been able to achieve this degree of blood sugar lowering. So a lot of the older medications that we would use for blood sugar lowering, we would maybe see 0.5%, 1%, 1.5%. So to have a medication that gives a 2.1 to 2.6% improvement in A1C is very, very clinically significant for our patients. Um, and not only did patients with type 2 diabetes in the SURPASS program have better blood sugar control, they also lost a lot of weight, so ranging from nine and a half to 12.5% weight loss. These are pretty significant numbers. Now, terzepatide has also been studied in people with obesity who don't have type 2 diabetes. And that clinical trial program is called Surmount. Okay, so you're following surpass for diabetes, surmount for obesity with no diabetes. And the weight loss seen at full dose, which is 15 milligrams weekly of terzepatide, average. 20.9% from initial body weight. Now, again, unless you're looking at this stuff every day, like if you're just a listener and you know these numbers don't mean anything to you, you probably don't appreciate the magnitude of weight loss. So I'm gonna give you a comparison. Bariatric surgery, right? Which for many people, they're like, oh, that's so extreme. But bariatric surgery achieves a 25% body weight loss, okay? And semaglutide, in the form of Wegovy at 2.4 milligrams achieves a 17 17% weight loss on average. So 20.9% average weight loss uh, using terzepatide is, you know, these numbers are approaching what we're what we used to only be able to see with bariatric surgery, right? And so that's really optimistic for people living with obesity. Now, terzepatide has not yet been approved in Canada for the treatment of obesity. It has been current, recently approved in the United States for obesity, and the trade name that came out for that is Zepbound. Don't ask me where they get these names. Um, so Manjaro for obese, for sorry, Manjaro for type two diabetes, Zepbound for obesity, but they're exactly the same. Both of them are terzepatide. It's all just branding, right? And so we're hoping that terzepatide for obesity will arrive in Canada sometime in 2025. It just has to go through certain regula regulations. Now, how does terzepatide work? So I'm going to try to answer some of the commonly asked questions. In healthy humans, after we intake food, as food is traveling through our gut, our gut senses the food passing through the nutrient load and releases hormones, GIP being one, GLP one being another. There's several, but these are two of them. Um, and these hormones make up something called the incretin effect. So the incretin effect is that as blood sugar gets absorbed from our gut and it goes into our bloodstream and we have a transient rise in our blood sugar and our bloodstream, um, these hormones, GIP and GLP-1, act on the pancreatic islet cells, so cells in the pancreas that secrete insulin 
And insulin's job is to travel through the bloodstream and cause the sugar that's in our bloodstream to be taken up by our cells so that it can be then used for fuel. And so that way our blood sugar levels come down to what is considered, considered normal after that meal. So that is achieved by GIP and GLP-1. And terzepatide, as I told you, is a dual agonist for GIP and GLP-1 receptors in the body. That means anywhere in our body that GIP and GLP-1 would act, terzepatide will act. So terzepatide will act on our pancreas to cause insulin secretion and then lower blood sugars after a meal. But it only does this if blood sugar levels are high. It won't do that if blood sugar levels are low. And that's really important so that it doesn't cause hypoglycemia or low blood sugar levels, which could be dangerous, right? So it does not cause that problem, which is great. Terzepatide will also act on the GLP-1 receptors that we have in our brain in an area called our hypothalamus. And this is where appetite is regulated. The effect is to reduce appetite, improve satiety and satiation, and therefore reduce food intake. And this is what results in weight loss. Terzepatide will also act on our stomach and our intestines, and it'll slow down the stomach, stomach emptying so that food will sit in our stomach for a little longer. Now this has some of the role in fullness, but Really, this is what kind of contributes to some of those GI gut side effects that we see with this class of medications. So that's kind of big picture how this works. You're going to have less food intake because of the effect on the brain that results in weight loss, and you're going to get that beneficial effect with blood sugar lowering. Now, how do you take terzepatide? Terzepatide is, like many of the GLP-1 class of drugs, a once weekly subcutaneous medication, meaning it's an injection that is administered just under the skin. Now, it was initially approved as a pen device, very similar to Sixenda and Ozempic or Wegovi, but the issue of the global shortages is actually the pen. The pen is what we're having trouble getting access to. It's not actually the drug itself, it's the pen to administer the drug, and therefore, Terzepatide in Canada has been released as a vial and syringe format. So if you are a, an American listener, it's a little bit different in Canada the way it's been released compared to in America. Um, in America, it's, Manjaro is provided as a pen device. In Canada, patients actually need to draw up the medication using a syringe and needle from a single-use vial and then inject the medication into their belly or thigh. So there is an added step, a slight you know, a slight increased um, complexity there, but really, um, it sh you know, what, it's like it's like a learning curve, right? Like anything else, um, this this is something that patients can learn to do, and there are other medications that have been administered that way as well, like fertility drugs, for example, um, insulin, old school insulin used to be this way as well. So similar to other medications in the GLP-1 class, when starting out terzepatide, it is started at a low dose and then slowly increased over several months. The starting dose is two and a half milligrams weekly for the first four weeks. And then the medication is increased to five milligrams for four weeks. And then slowly, slowly it's increased 7.5, 10 milligrams, and then finally 15 milligrams if required depending on the clinical response of the individual. 
And this is where your specific dosing will be decided between you and your physician. And not everyone has to go to 15 milligrams. It really depends on how much weight you have to lose, um, your glycemic control if you're taking it for type 2 diabetes, and how you tolerate the medication as well in terms of side effects. Now, each vial is single use because these vials don't contain any preservative, so you can't split the medication into multiple doses in an attempt to make it more affordable. So once you have put the needle into the vial, it, all of the medication needs to be used and then the vial needs to be thrown out. What are the side effects of trisepatide? So potential side effects are similar to the entire GLP-1 class. So the most common side effects are nausea, perhaps reflux, constipation or diarrhea. Really, they should be in the initial um, dose escalation phase where you're slowly increasing the dose and they should improve as your body adjusts to the medication with time. There is a low risk of gallstones and a low risk of pancreatitis, but both are things that we do counsel patients about. Now for women of childbearing age, it's important to note that terzepatide can reduce the absorption of the birth control pill. And this is because of the gastric emptying effect. And so it's recommended that another form of contraception be used, particularly in the dose escalation phase. Now, I have a personal concern with these medications that I'm going to address here. And I don't think we're talking about this enough. Although I will say that this is coming up more and more with my obesity medicine colleagues across the country. And last week I was in an, an all day meeting with an, like 20 other colleagues and we were talking about the, some of the medications coming out. So my main medication, my main concern with these medications, all of the GLP-1 uh, medications and obesity drugs that are coming out is sarcopenia and osteopenia. Those are fancy medical terms for muscle wasting, and bone density loss. So ideally, the medications taken for obesity would cause only fat loss, right? You would just lose fat off your body, nothing else. That would be ideal. But the reality is every weight loss intervention causes some fat loss and some muscle loss. How much fat loss and how much muscle loss is actually very dependent on you, the individual, the person doing the weight loss intervention. Now in clinical trials, there has been some, like it has been looked at a little bit in terms of trying to figure out how much fat loss versus muscle loss. And it does look reasonably favorable for trisepatide. But at the end of the day, there is still muscle loss. So if you are someone with like very severe obesity, so you're starting out with um, a much higher body weight and you take a GLP-1 medication and you lose a lot of fat and a little bit of muscle, probably the benefit of losing that amount of fat mass is going to outweigh the amount of muscle loss, right? Because your functional ability is going to be so much better having lost all of that fat mass. But there are many, many, many people now taking these medications who are, are starting out with a lower body weight. They may have like milder forms of obesity or just overweight. And that's where I think we need to be so cautious that we aren't causing overall long-term detriment because we, yeah, we might be causing the weight to go down as in the number on the scale. But if you're losing a whole bunch of muscle, like that's way worse for you, right? Your long-term it's much worse off. And this is where appropriate lifestyle interventions to prevent muscle and bone loss are essential. So what are these lifestyle interventions? You ask two things. Number one, you must be taking in adequate protein. And I see this all the time. Women especially are not getting enough protein. They're eating mainly a high carbohydrate, um, you know, high carbohydrate diet. 
um, protein is at a minimum, that's a recipe for disaster. So protein needs to be 30 grams of protein with every meal, minimum. Okay, that's number one. Number two is strength or resistance training. Again, I'm gonna to talk to the women because this is another thing that women don't typically do often. I'm generalizing, I get that. But a lot of the women I talk to, right? Um, and so I've started counseling my patients that these are non-negotiables. If you are taking an obesity medication, I don't wanna be part of a lawsuit in a decade, right? Where people are ending up with worse metabolic health and they have hip fractures because they're not taking these medications properly. So I'm gonna do my part and I'm educating all of you listening, uh, protein intake and you need to be doing strength training. What is strength training? It, it could be body weight. Uh, you're doing squats, you're doing push-ups, you're doing something that's building muscle. Could be lifting weights, it could be resistance bands, it could be using the resistance training um, machines at the gym. I don't care what it is, but if you are not pushing your muscles, tearing muscles to cause muscle repair, if you are not doing that, you are losing muscle, period. And so you don't want to be losing muscle, okay? That's not going to be favorable when you're 60 years old and 70 years old and 80 years old. And therefore, this is where your ownership comes in. Um, you need to be doing something about that. Okay, so I am not saying any of this to scare you. I'm not saying this to scare anyone from taking these medications. I'm saying this because as with any medication, there are risks and there are benefits and the benefits can be great. These medications can truly be amazing tools for people living with obesity, which is a difficult disease to treat. And we also need to be ensuring that our health behaviors are continuing to support good health moving forward, including maintaining lean body mass. Okay. That was the side effects and the risks. How much does terzepatide cost? So the at cost price for terzepatide is $77 per vial. That is the cost to the pharmacy buying this medication from the distributor. Um, each dose is a single vial, but you need to take into account the markup, the dispensing fee. And so it's gonna be higher than that for the end user, which is the patient. Now, this is such a new medication that I don't even have a very good sense of like what patients are paying out of pocket. I would say that you can expect to pay probably in the range of like $85 per vial and you need one vial per week. So $85 per week, plus the cost of the syringe and the needle. And um, one thing that is important to note is that it's a flat rate per vial regardless of the dose. So whether you are on the starting dose or the full dose of 15, the medication is gonna cost you the exact same. Now, Eli Lilly has a patient support program. So Eli Lilly, if you didn't know, is the maker of terzepatide and they have a patient support program at mymanjaro.ca. This program is for anyone with type two diabetes taking terzepatide for the management of diabetes. And that offers 20% off of the price of the medication on an ongoing basis. Now I've heard from a couple of patients that with the 20% off, the total cost per month is somewhere in the range of 385 Canadian dollars. So it's in that ballpark, which is kind of in keeping with the other obesity medications that have come out. Will my insurance cover terzepatide? This is the big question. So at the time of this recording, I've heard that both Canada Life and Sun Life have terzepatide on their formulary. I don't know about the other insurance companies yet, but okay, this is what the caveat, it's really important. It's important to note that insurance companies will only cover medications for their approved indication. That means to get coverage for terzepatide or Manjaro, you need to have type two diabetes. 
When we use these medications for obesity, we're using them off-label. We have good studies, we have good clinical trials that show these medications are effective and should be used and they're safe and all that stuff. That's different from what insurance companies will cover. And this is where like we get so many emails from patients being like, I thought they said they would cover it, but now they're saying they won't, what can you do? I, I can't help you there, unfortunately. Um, if you are taking a medication off-label and your insurance company asks for pre-authorization paperwork from a physician and we say, sorry, this patient doesn't have type 2 diabetes, they will deny your claim. It's just really as simple as that. Um, so anyone taking terzepatide for obesity without type 2 diabetes is unlikely to get insurance coverage for this medication unless your insurance company does not ask for pre-authorization paperwork and they just kind of have a blanket thing where they'll just cover it. Okay, so hopefully that clears things up because I, I literally get multiple emails a day about this. Last question, should I switch over to terzepatide? Okay, so I've saved this question for last because I suspect that if you are, are already on some form of obesity treatment, this is probably what you're asking yourself or you're asking me. Um, here's the answer. Not everyone needs to switch over to, to terzepatide. Okay, so if you have had a great response to another medication like Sixenda or Ozempic, you've had improved health parameters, you're tolerating the medication well, you're doing well on it, there's no need to switch to the newest shiny object on the market just because, you know, just because it's new and, oh, it has a higher percentage weight loss, right? Um, another patient population that I would not switch over to, to terzepatide is if you are someone who has a history of cardiovascular disease, if you've had a heart attack, if you've had a stroke, if you have documented atherosclerotic disease, i.e. plaque in your arteries on a stress test, then the medication of choice should really be Ozempic. And here's why. We have proven cardiovascular benefit with Ozempic from the SELECT trial. In that trial, people with obesity and pre-existing um, plaque or, or atherosclerotic disease had a 20% event reduction, cardiovascular event reduction. So that's a 20% reduction in heart attacks, strokes, um, peripheral vascular disease. That is really significant, a 20% reduction. And therefore, Ozempic is going to be a cardiovascular drug, right? It should be used because if you have a history of cardiovascular disease, it's possible that we'll see this level of benefit with terzepatide, but we just don't have that data yet. So the cardiovascular outcome trial is ongoing. It's happening presently. It has yet to be completed and yet, yet to be published. We don't have data. So right now, my, you know, my clinical recommendation would be that semaglutide is the drug of choice if you have existing cardiovascular disease. So those are the people that I would not switch over. However, if you're someone who perhaps is starting at a much higher body weight or a high, very high BMI, more severe forms of obesity, you have more um, adiposity-related complications or other diseases as a result of excess adiposity, and you would benefit from a greater weight reduction, i.e. the 20% average would be better for you than maybe the 10 or 15% you may have achieved from another agent, that might be a reason to switch over. So ultimately, it's going to be a patient-specific decision made in conjunction with a qualified physician who can help guide the medication selection and understands all of this, right? Now, we are entering an era, which is exciting, right, for an obesity physician. We're entering an era with more options, with more effective treatments for obesity. And amongst my colleagues, we're now discussing like a new success measure called treat to target, which refers to treating a patient to achieve specific health outcome targets. 
because we now have drugs that are able to do that, right? Like in the past when we had medications that offered like a 10% weight loss, that's great, but we weren't, we weren't going to necessarily see like remission of diabetes with a 10% weight loss, right? We'd see improvements, but not remission. But now with like a 20% weight loss and these medications that cause very significant A1C lowering, we can actually see remission of diabetes. Like that's pretty phenomenal. So um, we're, we're thinking about our, what treatment success is and it's looking a little bit different now because we have medications that offer um, greater clinical benefit, greater weight loss. And that needs to be balanced with some of the risks of treatment, like I talked about, the concerns of osteopenia, concerns of sarcopenia, perhaps concerns of malnourishment, right? Or people becoming underweight. That is all of a sudden a possibility now that these drugs um, offer so much weight loss. And so we need to administer these medications in conjunction with proper health behaviors, proper lifestyle counseling. We can't get away from having a healthy lifestyle. <laughs> that I will like, can, I will die on that mountain of saying that we do still need to live our healthiest lifestyle. Medication will never, ever, ever replace that. They can still be a good tool, but they won't replace the need for living our healthiest lifestyle. Okay, I trust this was helpful as evidence-based information about terzepatide or Manjaro. Remember, this is for educational purposes only, and you must speak with your own doctor about personal medical decisions and medications. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to hit subscribe on your podcast player so you never miss an episode. I have a new one out every single Monday, and I'll leave you the same way I do each week. Remember to do one thing to honor your body today. All right, talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed listening to the High on Life podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, share, and review it on Apple Podcasts.